Hello there. At last we will reveal ourselves to the Jedi. At last we will have revenge. Hello there. Welcome to a podcast about Star Wars Shatterpoint and the Star Wars universe. My name is Jesse Aiken, and I am not joined by Amon today, but Charles. How are you doing today, Charles? Oh, I'm good. I'm ready to either bring this podcast in warm or bring it in cold. We have a hunter, Mando, on the show today, taking over the place of the dark side. So we got an interesting combo of light side Jedi and kind of gray scoundrel bounty <laughs> hunter. But I will let the listeners know, Charles... For Amon, uh, speaking for Amon here, Amon wants the listeners to know that he is not here today for a very good reason. It's a reasonable reason. I think there's like two good reasons. Number one, <laughs> he's out of the country. Number two, he's out of the country for his own wedding. If you're going to have an excuse. Those are those are great excuses <laughs> and Amon will soon be a married man. He'll join the ranks with me here and in, in the sense of also I'm I'm so excited for him, but I was also like, dude, like you gotta take you gotta take at least a week off. Yeah. You know, so Charles was very kind to talk with me and Amon and and jump in and We've been wanting Charles on the show for some time anyways to talk Shatterpoint and some of the thoughts we have as a Nebulous community because it's all still so fresh. So we're going to talk about a lot of that stuff today, but we 100%. didn't know why Amon was not here and <laughs> he would love to be here for this discussion. But in Amon not being here, him and I have talked and he's given me a lot of his thoughts that I'm going to read off in this conversation and me and me and Charles are going to jump off of some of Amon's points, you know that I'm going to read. We're going to kind of organically answer them and see what he has to say, what he's learned about the game. He'll be here in spirit. Absolutely. The dark side is is flowing. And, you know, Charles, today we're talking about two things that we think kind of go hand in hand. We're, we're talking about lessons learned in the first month of the game, but also what are some of the list archetypes you can expect, especially before these new releases come. We're going to approach it through the lens of what's out at the moment, though the releases will expand on some of these archetypes we're going to talk about today, though I think other ones might pop up, right? So the two main topics today are lessons learned in the last month. And I think Charles and I have a lot of different lessons we learned that we hopefully can impart on you, the listener and, you know, ourselves and kind of learn from it. But on top of that too, we're gonna talk about these list archetypes because they're already here, Charles, in the game. Yeah. They're showing up <laughs> and they're all good, quite honestly. Like they've all got their own strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, 100%. There's six really interesting like squads like already created with the boxes and they're all solid. They all have their advantages and it's gonna be really cool to like kind of dig into those. Um, I've been privileged enough that I've gotten an even amount of games, which each of the archetypes. And so I was really excited about this topic when you brought it up. Perfect. Well, before we get into today's main topics, we have a couple people to thank. Hello there, supported by Mr. Laser at mr-laser.square.site, where you can get all the Shatterpoint pre-orders. We also are supported by our patrons. Our patrons support us. Hello there at patreon.com slash lothercast. If you enjoyed the show and would like to support us and also join our private Discord community, consider checking out the Patreon. We take this time to thank all of our patrons for their support. This is a very cool time for the Patreon, Charles, because we just started a, a preseason TTS league. So, of course, we'll have our first season league in some time. But this is kind of like a just learn to play the game get to know the community. We have a nice group of 12 players already playing that. So if you're interested in maybe some some TTS games and things like that on top of the hobby, the bonus episodes, and all the myriad of things Amon and I have planned for the channel, check out the Patreon. It's a good way to do it. And Charles is a patron, so it's, yes. it's a double-layered <laughs> thing today. He's, he's a creator in this community, but he's also a patron of our show that and Amon and I cannot, you know, thank you enough for that, Charles. I'm happy to support my both my friends and, you know, content creators in general. I know how much work it is. And I can only imagine what it's like doing it with 
you know, with a kid at home as well, like the level of uh, challenges it is for you. But uh, as much as I want to shout out the patrons, I also got to shout out Mr. Laser because I have had the privilege of meeting him in person. He's a great dude. I love his products. I mean, I am itching for the Mr. Laser template tray so that I can have a tray for all of my my Shatterpoint templates. As soon as I'm ordering it day one, if the link goes up, buying instantly. Oh, he's working on it. We've had we've had some good discussions about it. So I'm really excited, especially with the premiere format in mind, you know, but also, you know, maybe maybe you'll have a tray with non premiere format in mind as well. So it's very exciting. Mr. Laser is the man. Absolutely. (laughs) We've both met him and hung out with him and yeah, super sweet his his work. Great products. Of course, Charles, we cannot do the show without our producers. So big shout out to Rusty and Rich bringing the light side of the force. But we have some changes. We have a new producer, Brady. And Brady, I've talked with on the side, Brady wants to represent the scum and villainy, Bounty Hunters of the Galaxy. Nice. So not full light Brady. side, not full dark side. So gray. I love it so much. And notice I didn't mention Kevin's name, one of our staple producers, because Kevin has now ascended from a Sith Lord to a Sith Emperor. So Kevin has upped his tier. So huge shout out to Kevin. You are incredible. The fact that someone joined our highest tier in general, Charles, is absolute insanity. And that Kevin really is the Sith Emperor now. And he's really making the show happen and helping him on pay a lot of our bills and honestly put a lot of finances into future endeavors we are planning right now as we speak. Well, I heard that Sidious controls the banks already, like after, you know, some shenanigans and stuff. So it's really good to have that Emperor supporting you, keeping things going. And, you know, huge, huge shout out to Kevin. Been interacting him with a bit off and on in the in the Discord. Super sweet dude. And as a fellow content creator, I can say, you know, you don't realize how much that kind of stuff keeps you motivated, keeps you keeps the ideas flowing. You both have like a super interactive person, but also right. that wants to, you know, support the cast in every way that you can. Like literally there are going to be times where the podcast is better because of people like Kevin. So cannot shout them out enough. No, absolutely not. Perfectly said, Charles. I mean, Amon and I put a lot of hours every week into the show and it's part-time job work hours levels at times. And people like Kevin and Rusty and Rich and Brady in particular, because they are producers and they're truly putting time and money into this community, helping it grow. And that's what they've all told me. They're like, I want to put in now to help the community grow at the ground floor. Uh, you guys are so helpful and uh, we cannot thank you enough. All right, Charles, let's move on to our primary topic today, which is... Oh, yes, let's do it. Let's talk list archetypes first before we get into lessons learned over the first month of the game. Because I think lessons learned, we're going to go a lot of interesting directions. And we, we've kept a big chunk of it from each other as well. Some things we've learned, and we're going to see where it goes. But let's talk about the primary list archetypes first. And I think we should start with the separatists. And I know you've been playing some separatists lately. I have. And it was not... I did not intend to do this. What ha- It kind of happened accidentally... I had Asajj and Django painted first because they're just cool models and I, I didn't know where to start. You know, obviously, whenever you hop into a new game, you're like, what do I do? Like, what, what, where do I start with all of this stuff? And then all of a sudden I was like, there's an event in like 24 hours and I would like to play fully painted. And I was like, well, I have Asajj and Django. Maybe I do play Separatists. Like, maybe that's the thing that I could get ready and I like they're not going to be my like long-term plan so if I like rush the b1s or whatever and they're not a perfect paint job I was okay with that so but it gave me a pretty pretty unique perspective getting to try them out a lot of my pre like proxy games have been heavy mandos do you want me to kind of like launch into my thoughts on separatist do you want to launch because you've been a long time separatist fanatic 
through the Star Wars universe. I have been. It's funny. Let's just turn that all on its head, though, because it's like, and I think I said this on the cast, Charles, and I'm sure you've heard it on the cast. It's weird. So I've played Star Wars Legion for years. Rebels and Separatists were my main armies in that. They have similar play styles. They're more kind of swarmy per se, yeah. I'll say that. Lower defenses, all that stuff. But I just love the aesthetic of the droids and the droid army, of course. It's funny, though, I have a proclensity for the light side Republic mains, but I kind of favor the, the droid army at large. I just like the droid army. I mean, I, lo- I like clones too, but it's, it's funny that I like, you know, I favor people like Obi-Wan, Ahsoka, stuff like that. But then the Separatist army as a whole, I just really enjoy the aesthetic and everything. But on top of that, I really do like Dooku and Grievous and stuff. So you do, you got me there entirely. I was going to say Dooku is kind of like the perfect in between for you, right? Because right. he's still got that like classic Jedi tradition stuff going on. For but sure. you know, you recognize like there, I mean, I know you're a lore cast, so it's like, it's okay to like shout out a little of this stuff, but right. Like, Lore's good. But Jedi era, like Clone Wars, uh, the council was a little messed up. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And I'm saying messed up because I know it's a PG 13 cast. I would have used That's different right. verbiage, but like Dooku, Dooku recognized that and he saw a problem and maybe he didn't go your preferred way of solving that problem, but <laughs> you probably would have seen that problem too. You've got some Qui-Gon in you, right? Like Absolutely. you would have, you would have seen the flaws and wanted to do something about it. You would not, you would not have been the Yoda who's like, let's just sit on this information and hope it turns out. Okay. Poor Yoda, man. Yeah. yeah. He's the spot he was put in was a rough one. I think they're probably expanding more of that in the in the past too, with the you know the the old Republic that Yoda was part of, of course. Yeah. But I definitely question things at heart, and I'm a I definitely lean towards maybe some of Do- Dooku's thoughts. So I you did get me there in the sense of like Dooku really wasn't wrong up to a certain point, but then he he starts going down a certain point somewhere in the Clone Wars. It gets <laughs> he really starts going full dark side and and means to an end. Right, Amon and I talked about that in the primary episode about Dooku recently. So, but I, I do have a leaning for the Separatist army, and they do have a, a viable cause they're going for. Right, so it is interesting that they're coming out of the game so strong. Separatists in Republic, of course, they've kind of established these archetypes day one, and I think Separatist is a really interesting archetype where they're kind of like it's about order control and movement, it seems like in a lot of ways. Right. And I, and I think I agree with that. And it's interesting, right? Because traditionally you'd imagine separatists would be a swarm. Even if you go back to Star Wars, like yes. the, the Coast Minis, separatists were a, a swarm in a lot of cases. Now, obviously you can't do that in a game like this, but I think they accomplish it in a little bit different, right? Where they have more movement. Like the first time that you get a Kalani activation and you get to move two Magna Guards and two B1s, (laughs) like at the start of a different character's activation and you get four movements and you start thinking like, wow, like this wasn't even that crazy of a turn. Imagine what four movements could do mid game where you're just like, I might take three points right? Like two Magna Guards move on to a point, two B1s move on to a point, and then Kalani shoots someone and like gets on a point. Like you could totally rearrange a battlefield. And and that's kind of where that swarm mechanic, I think, comes in is that they're always moving. And like Dooku, you know, I was just listening to your guys' episode on Dooku. I didn't quite finish it. I think I got like 90% of the way. But like Dooku always moves himself and potentially someone else. Right. The range is range three, which is restrictive. And I found it really easy in my games to be out of that range. And you kind of have to keep that in mind. So in a lot of ways, and maybe like you as a Republic player and some of the other Republic players won't like this comment, but I kind (laughs) of feel like the separatists are the most like leadership 
oriented of the archetypes where you kind of have these clear like these are the characters that help the force projection and then that makes everything else kind of function in a big way and that is the the separatist archetype kind of in a nutshell for me do you kind of agree with that or do you think i'm off base no i think you're right on the money i think they're very cohesive in that way right and they really give you dividends when you kind of lean into it. I, I th- obviously think their leaders and Kalani, who's a, obviously a quasi leader in the lore of sorts, a secondary leader, that too, right? He's, he's part of that equation. So I agree with that. I also want to add too, that I think on top of their movement, it's funny, statistically through the stats, look at Kalani, look at the B1s, look at the Magna Guards, for instance, a lot of the droids in particular just have high stamina pools. And that's a design choice, which I think is very cool. They have the highest stamina of models in their categories, right? So, but then inversely, they have lower defenses, especially in melee, <laughs> which, you know, fits in the lore, but it's also like they just have higher health pools entirely, you know, and I and I, I don't want to go to MCP comparisons and stuff, but it's something we're more familiar with where it's like, sometimes we look at just like, how much stamina models have in games and like that is an aspect to always take with you and it seems like the droids thus far this continues with the b2s as well charles though less than the others there's high health pools as well so i think that's also adding to that swarm element as well a little bit it's just bodies i would go so far as to say one i i agree with you that i think almost every game especially you hit a point where you start looking at like what is the durability of my team right? Yeah, yeah. It does not matter what game you play. There's a certain point where you're just like, especially when everyone's playing basically the same amount of models, you're like, how durable is my team versus their team? And that can be a huge kind of a decision point. And separatists feel durable, maybe not Asajj, <laughs> like right. she's not excelling right. in durability, but Magnard have like some weirdness with like how they get onto points because they are one of the few support units that has no bonus movement if they activate first, right? If they are the very first activation of the game, they're advancing and hunkering. That's, they they, they don't do anything else. Right. But if you, you do, if you pull the strings right and you get the Magna Guards either via Kalani or Asajj moving or Dooku moving, and like if they are getting those synergies, Magna Guard might be the best support unit currently released. Like, Right. A lot of health, a lot of pushes really early on, solid damage, not easy to remove. They come they confound your opponent's plans. Like you do have to jump through a little bit of hoops. They're not a point and click sort of unit, but man, they're good. They decimate clones in melee, right? Just decimate them with pushes and with damage, of course. So yeah, I agree completely. So that gets basically to the point we talked about early on with these separatists is something I brought up, which was like the order control and the order. I guess the priority order of the way you play them. So I think you kind of hit on an example of that, Charles, with Magna Guards, where it's very like they have flexibility with order control, but they also maybe not live or die by their orders, but it's crucial to their play style. And the example you gave is like Dooku being left behind. That can happen if things kind of get out of order with your deck and things like that. The Magna Guards going first, that's horrendous, right? So what are our ideal scenarios with the Separatists outside of just going Kalani turn one? (laughs) <laughs> I do think like my first game or maybe I can't remember if it was the first or the second one, but Dooku ended up being the last card in my order deck. And that felt kind of awful. And I actually got lucky because my opponent force pushed a Magna Guard into range three of Dooku. Okay. Okay. And so like it kind of like revived that turn, but I was on the verge of being like, Dooku's my last dude. He's not going to get to move anybody, you know? And so it was definitely one where you have to be kind of mindful 
of those activation orders. And it's not like you always have to go the same order, but I think you have to kind of keep things in mind. Like, try not to have Dooku go last. Shatterpointing Kalani? Almost always good. And keep in mind, like, every time you move Asajj or Dooku, can you reposition the Magna Guards to kind of move back into that range of Kalani? And you know, all of those sort of things. And I think you have to kind of constantly be mindful of those synergies. It's so funny, Charles, because that Dooku example you gave, it's so different from a Republic mindset of going with your main characters. (laughs) Yeah. Going with your primary characters, because it's like, you basically just said the Anakin player's dream, right? Like I drew Anakin last, right? I drew Dooku last, but with Dooku that you don't want that because a lot of his power level is baked into what he brings as a as a general as a leader like you we were kind of talking about they are built around these leaderships yeah i don't think i don't even think dooku is necessarily like the worst character to go first with okay i mean it's not probably not optimal but honestly i'm not sure if i'd spend force to reserve dooku i think he does enough things in general for your team like him getting to move means like you could move both of your magna guards Right. Like yeah, yeah. You get, one can dash, one can advance after him. And I think that's just like could be a really solid starting play. And people don't necessarily want to attack Dooku. He is not, <laughs> no, the, not the not the perfect person to, you know, roll dice into. So I don't know with you talking about your Republic. Do we want to kind of roll segue naturally into yeah. the, the comparison? Right. Like, man, the Republic is like your primaries do the work. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny because like we talked about the separatists being this this whole pie, this cohesive thing where it's like their primaries support their secondaries and supports, yeah. their secondaries support the team at large. You know, they're just everywhere, they're moving everywhere they want, they manipulate the deck. Republic is more like, how do I use my Jedi at, at the perfect times while keeping my clones alive? Right. And and, yeah. and and obviously clones have strength in themselves at being these threats from range and and of course always having the ability to to dash right but you're absolutely right saying that the the primaries are the draw to this current iteration we have the republic at this moment in time right and like obviously obi-wan is a general in this incarnation right yeah and his his kind of leadership his signature ability kind of just makes them function and it kind of feels like if you're gonna play republic you're gonna play obi he kind of makes makes all the pieces sing together with like, you know, protecting the hunkers when you're in melee, getting additional hunkers, getting hunkers versus melee attacks, you know, all of that kind of stacks up. And it seems really powerful when you start asking people, like even in your discord, right? Like there was a conversation about what's the, what's the worst of each right now. And a lot of people are mentioning clone secondaries and clone support units as the worst. And I really think in the long run, we're probably not going to examine supports and secondaries individually. We're going to look at what the squad creates. And I think, you know, with how strong Anakin is and how strong Obi is, and then to a certain extent, like down the road, we're going to talk about how strong Vader is. You know, it's weird (laughs) that he's Galactic Republic, right? But sure, these characters kind of feel above the curve a little bit for their primaries, but the stuff that they do to support characters and the characters that can support them 
tend to be a little bit below the curve to kind of balance that out. I think Rex is a little bit of an exception. Like, I think Rex is just a really, really solid secondary that you're pretty much always happy to have. He's like, you could run him under Anakin, you could run him under Vader, you could run him under Obi, like everybody's happy to have Rex. But it does definitely feels like with Republic, your secondaries and your support units are there to like drop some status effects, be bodies on points, and then let Anakin and Obi or Vader or whatever, like lead the show and win the war. Um, And that's probably how it should be. You know, it's thematic, right? And I also love the design of the game that we have. Like you're talking about Charles, you're like, well, I have to play clones because like, I want to lean into this Republic synergy, right? I want to like get benefits from my identities with like Anakin and Obi-Wan where it's like benefiting Republic stuff. But it's also like in doing that, you have these power pieces, like you said, that are kind of leveled out. And so let's compare that. So what what are your thoughts of like just the Separatists versus the Republic where it's like, do you think the Separatists is just like a whole or just kind of more across the board and the Republic's more of like this like high points and low points and that's obviously a design choice so I think by comparison I think the separatists are a little bit more of like how can you pull the synergies together like how much do you get out of Kalani how much do you get out of the Dooku movements like how well do you make all of these little tricks kind of bounce off of each other and combine into something greater Whereas in a big way with Republic, it's don't do anything stupid with your supports or your secondaries. And then like, how big of swings are you getting out of the OB plays and out of the out of the Anakin plays, etc. And then at the same time, like, but don't get me wrong, as much as they're great. My last game, I, I had Rex pinning stuff in deployment. Oh, my because gosh. there was like. He he dashed himself, right? And then that got him to go up an ingress point. And then he walks. And then he's like, he's already in range to shoot stuff. And he's like, boom, I'll just pin you in your deployment. Like Rex still does really crazy things. and But I've also like burned through all that force and not had force left for the clones to get extra movement. And sometimes like they're not it's getting tough. in any point. Like maybe I can soften up this character and just like generate myself a momentum at some point shift the struggle a little bit and that's weird because i didn't feel like i did that that much with the other teams like everybody was always on points and i definitely found that i shatter point with anakin and obi whereas most of the other times i was not using shatter point on my primaries like playing separatists or things like that you're just kind of like yeah I found do a, what you need to do right a lot of the other time it would be a support unit or it would be a secondary like to get those big plays but with republic i definitely it was like big obi play like you know yeah Darth Maul pulls him off a gantry, right? And then he hops, like Shatterpoint hops back up, pushes Maul off, you know? Like, it was very iconic stuff where, you know, it's like, hmm, let me reserve this character. Oh, I got Shatterpoint now. Let's see if Anakin can end the game with walk, jump, double attack, assage, take a point, like, get the momentum, get the perfect, like, score four, plus, you know, move the track, like, you know, all the all the pieces working together. Yeah, they're they're definitely if you want to like play that solo character adventure, I feel like Republic does that better than the rest. Yeah, they're they're like definitely a hero hammer team. Yeah, where it's like hero hammer. That's a that's a good one. I like I didn't heard that before, but I like it. <laughs> it's something um other communities I've been a part of have used and you know, case in point in Star Wars Legion. The rebels are a very hero hammer centric team where it's like they just have a lot of these awesome pieces surrounded by 
you know, rebel troopers, right? And they don't really do a lot. And it's the balance of that. So I do find it really interesting at this point in time, Charles, where I think that Republic is maybe the most, I guess it's, it's, it's the least forgiving if you really mess up. Honestly, I'm more talking early game struggle one in particular. Yeah. I, I think just because they are so positional and terrain based, which I think we're going to get to later. And also maybe if you make some mistakes with your clones early on, you might pay for it, but there are things like Anakin that can help you get back in. So it's kind of like a, I guess it kind of evens out maybe, but I, I do. There's a little bit of a learning curve to them. Cause maybe it is that hero hammer style. Like, did I do the right thing with Anakin or Obi-Wan? So I would maybe say that, play decisions is hurts the separatists the most. Like I feel like separatists are probably the one that you could be the most out of position when all of a sudden you're like, Oh, I didn't deploy the battle droids on this side. And now they're on this side and they can't even stand on that piece of terrain that has the objective on it. Like there's a piece of terrain in the core box that if you put an objective on the battle droids cannot stand on it. Like if there's no gantry, they literally cannot stand on that piece and be on the same tier. And like, there's a lot of little decision points. I kind of feel like Republic are the most vulnerable to dice where if Anakin whiffs or you just take heavy damage through two hunkers in cover, like I feel like Republic in a lot of ways feels the dice probably more than anyone else. And that's not to say they're dicey, but I think they feel the spikes one way or the other, maybe a little bit more so than the the other affiliations. That's well said. Yeah, especially too, because the clones are fairly vulnerable in the support side of things. You know, Rex is a whole other conversation. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got vulnerable clones. And then if you've got these heroes in this hero hammer format that don't hit on top of like clones being kind of vulnerable and then maybe that you spike on them. I, I could see, I could completely agree with that. I just feel like too, like that you just gotta, you gotta know your struggle one with them. And if you don't, I mean, it's just, it's all a learning curve, right? I mean, separatists yeah. is the same way. I mean, sometimes you just learn with separatists. So you're like, I Kalani and then I shatter point with Kalani struggle one right (laughs) and you're just like it just feels feels good good. yeah like it feels pretty darn good and you've got droids everywhere all over the map right so sometimes the republic is like you don't you want to wait you want to put models in reserve but then you're like did i wait too long or did i as you said charles did i deplete my my force too much am am i losing out on some clone dashes you know and hunkers with this so it, it is kind of tough to always know exactly what to do at this point in time with republic no i think republic's probably one of those things where it's like it's really going to reward players for jumping into this learning it learning the anti-obies like you said and then later we get a mace or something throw him in and you just really kind of start figuring out this like jedi centric format you know where they do the heavy lifting and then i think like you probably feel a little bit better because you're like oh i've played 20 republic games now and i really know what to do my clones deployment and struggle one right which is maybe get that right and terrain is so crucial and we're going to talk about that shortly and i think republic maybe might suffer the most from the just frankly not having enough reps with the terrain in this new format of a game and that's okay i think the republic players will get there myself included well and i think you you this is something like amon and i have talked about where amon's meta it's like corset terrain per table that's it that's right you guys talked about another episode I'm not planning on doing that. <laughs> yeah. Like my table is two core sets and like most of two high grounds. And the 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 leanest table I've seen is core set plus high ground. That's the leanest I've seen. I haven't even Impressive. seen a table single core set. And and that's very different. And I think if you have a meta that's core set only terrain per table, 
uh, clones are going to do very well with that. Like they feel that benefit even more when they're getting maximum movement out of all the troopers. And it just like you're going to feel that. And to a certain extent, separatists. But like the inverse is like Mando's obviously take, you know, love extra terrain and, you know, being able to take advantage of those situations. And it's one area where. I worry a little bit with Vader. Like if you play all Republic, right? And you drop a jump character like Anakin for an advanced character like Vader, right? You may end up being even more reliant on the terrain setups. And that's, that's going to be something that you're going to kind of have to think about. No, absolutely. And I think that's something we're going to our lessons learned shortly where yeah. it's like terrain is so crucial. That is so interesting, Charles. I think the game is only going to grow in the terrain front. I think I've talked about yeah. this on the show a lot. And I think you and I have talked off mic a lot about this where it's, you know, people that like to do, be creative with terrain yourself and me and yeah. others where it's like, I think the terrain's only going to grow quite honestly, the stuff that AMG puts out. And of course people maybe building stuff or printing stuff on top of that. When people like you already have terrain from other Star Wars games. Like it's probably of any game that could ever possibly come out. A Star Wars game probably has the most existing terrain to pull from. There's so many different worlds and setups and, you know, files you can like scale up and STLs or whatever. Tons of stuff. And so trying to imagine that a Star Wars game is going to stay with a low amount of terrain for more than a few months, I feel like is not correct. No, it's not. Especially with the breadth of exciting worlds and terrain we have in Star Wars too. Like people are going to do different stuff like trees and, you know, and all kinds of fun stuff on top of this corset terrain. And we're going to see that grow. Keeping this conversation going, Charles, and closing out our archetype discussion involving terrain yeah. <laughs> and, and, and height, you know, and the viability of all these things in the game. Let's talk about this Mandalorian archetype. So it's funny because I think the Mandalorian archetype is a little bit different because it's strictly built off of secondaries and supports, right? So that's already an interesting place we're at. Yep. Uh, we don't actually have a Mandalorian primary yet, fingers crossed, but it's so cool that we have a sub faction or sub archetype, whatever you want to call it, or in the game as it is, that's built only off of secondaries and supports. Well, I, I wouldn't even call it a subcategory. No. Right? Like it's, it really, it really out, yeah. is its own team and is immediately competitive. But what's interesting about the Mandos is that you can flex your primary slots. The primaries are the least <laughs> important right. part of this team. And it's wild. I think if you're playing release stuff right now, I think there's a big argument to play Ahsoka and Maul with them. And whereas I have not been the biggest supporter of Maul in some of my initial tests, but I, I've come to f- figure out that I think I was doing some things wrong and putting them in the wrong situations. And I think to a certain extent, we're all doing that with someone, right? Because we I are. think every character has good situations for them and bad situations. And I saw too many bad situations for Maul. So I, you know, I want to point a finger somewhere and like, I, I don't want to be the person who's like, everything is fine. Everything is good. I'm mm-hmm. willing to point to something. And at that time, I I felt genuinely felt it was Maul. Now I'm starting to see the advantage of like, don't dark rage with Maul, have Maul be this lightsaber throwing piece that will Mm -hmm. push people off points, conserve your your force, like for the Mandos to always be able to do all of their shenanigans and like Ahsoka's movement and stuff to like kind of balance that out. And then Maul and Ahsoka's speed to kind of like balance out with all the jumps. And so you also have people that cross the board in a big way. Great. But 
that doesn't mean you can't run them with Asajj and like Luminar yeah. is really good and she's just around the corner. There's lots of interesting ways to to play them, but man, Mandos almost feel like they're the they're kind of the team where you're making like critical decisions every activation. There is no there's like no that. like you know, chaff activation, no fluff activation. That's true. You were really kind of maximizing every activation because it's kind of spread very evenly. And it's also one where I feel like if you kind of like live in that hero dream through a character, through a general, you don't get that so much with Mandos because you just, you no. don't know, you'll win games and you'll be like, I'm not even sure I have like a special story to tell, right? Like there's no like super dramatic moment. It was just my Mandos were always on points and always alive and always, you know, hindering your stuff. And it was just kind of a team effort. It was a, you know, literally a Mandalorians are stronger together. And it was this, this team effort that everyone kind of pulled together and just was like pulled their weight. And that led to a victory, which, you know, may be fun for some people may like, you know, not have as many of those heroic moments, but yeah. it doesn't mean it's not really good. <laughs> No, it's absolutely really good. I mean, we've been singing his praises since like, I feel like yeah. day one of this podcast. And I think it's good because it is, it is the all rounder list, but it's not the all rounder plug and play as, as Charles just said, it, it is very much you need to know how to play every model. Every time you pull from that order deck, it is crucial. And <laughs> what are you going to do? You don't reserve very much. Like you don't have force to reserve. You're no. a lot of time. You're just like, what is my best play with this character? And then, like you said too, Charles, where we were talking about like, you're building around these secondaries and supports and that's, that's really the list. It's like, do you want to play Maul? Do you want to play Ahsoka? Do you want to play someone else? And what are they bringing? It's weird. Like you got to remove yourself from like, maybe this Republic of Separatist mindsets where it's like, Okay. Maybe my primaries are going to be playing roles more than they are like this primary big heroic thing, like you said, in the game. Yeah. And that's unusual, right? That's unusual. It's just kind of like a blanket, like everyone's going to survive. Everyone's going to reposition when they need to. And I'm just going to win the game. Like you said, Charles, like maybe not some bombastic story, just a, I just smoothly won the game without any like big spikes or dips. If I played right with Mandos, right? That That's hard to describe. Yeah, honestly, it really is. Archetype. When someone's like asking me like how my Mando game went, I'm like, well, I won, <laughs> but um, yeah, just like everybody was always on points and everybody was there and my opponent just couldn't get to points as well as I could. And I just like was always like jumping into the spot that was like really awkward for them. And you're like, nice. it, it is the positioning in a lot of ways. Like it's probably the, the team that if, if you can really out position your opponent, it really shines with Mandos where you're like, if I just put them here, that's going to be just outside of your attack range or just hard for you to push or like figuring out all those key spots where you want to land. And also you like, you don't want to screw up the positioning for anyone else, right? Like how far oh, forward yeah. do I go so that my other Mando can get there? Did I keep Gar far enough to the side that these Mandos will move up and like get Mandalorians are stronger together and everyone's synergies. There's a lot of like little decisions that all kind of like stockpile up. No, absolutely. Perfectly said. Yeah, it's, it is very much like a, as you said, it's the sum of all the parts. It's not some sort of like. If separatists are built around like the order deck control and the movement yeah. and, and they're all working together and Republic's built about maximizing your Jedi activations and surviving with your clones, Mandalorians are somewhere kind of in the middle where it's just like they've all got to do everything they got to do. You're jumping everywhere, getting those focuses off, just, just being consistent, I guess, is what they really want to do, right? And just win the game through consistent actions, I guess, is the biggest way to 
frame it on top of their their mobility is pretty incredible but it, it's a different mobility than the separatist mobility right yeah it just the the mandos are certainly like they the more terrain the better for them they love it they love the more ways that they can use the terrain to their advantage is is huge for mandos awesome yeah and i think that's only they're only going to improve as the game goes on because the train's going to continue to yeah. grow and you know that leads us to our other discussion today, which is about lessons we've learned in these first like three to four weeks of the game. We've been, we've been playing a lot of in-person games. I've been playing some TTS games and just some things we've learned between the three of us, of course, me, Charles and Amon. And, you know, starting with some of Amon's comments, Charles, we're going to, you and I are going to jump off of these and kind of add our input to this. Yeah, for sure. And some conversations Amon and I had off mic is direct quote from Amon here. Climb is incredible. It feels a bit silly how it functions in terms of gameplay. <laughs> Having a character effectively dashed in the elevation is hard to imagine, especially when it's like a B1 battle droid, but powerful. So what I'm on saying with this is he underestimated Climb early on where he was just like, I think he was thinking more along the lines of advancing ingress points in that play pattern, you know, which is art, still a tough play pattern to learn. Quite honestly, Charles, I'm still wrapping my head around like always look for ingress points, move to yep. those, pop up the ingress point. That's very powerful. And you're moving a lot of distance. But Amon's just saying straight up, it's kind of like just climbing on something in MCP. Just the fact that you can dash up is you got to retrain your brain to that, I think is what he's saying. See, that one came pretty easily to me. And so I didn't feel that the thing that I'm wrapping my brain around and trying to do more is the I can advance across a gap to something else that's the yes, same elevation that is tough. that's the thing that like did not click for me right away and i'm certainly like trying to like make use of that and you know that's been one of my goals yeah this this is tough in the podcast format but essentially what charles was referring to in like the theater of the mind is if we have like a, a gantry system where it's all the same elevation you have like a t-shape and your character is on like the bottom of the t you know the straight up and down part you're deciding that you want to go to one of these side corners of the t well you can actually just do that you can just <laughs> clear you can jump over the gap and kind of like cut some corners quite honestly and go a little bit faster right and because it's the same elevation it's understood to keep it faster cleaner not normal to us right now a lot of minis games do not use that system yeah but definitely tough and you know the climb was not tough for me either charles i think it was just innate but it is weird to visualize sometimes sometimes you just gotta look at the top of the board like hover over it and just say okay i can see all the elevations i just gotta like look in the look through this lens of i can just dash or mcp short move up onto something if i really need to well, I think for the Star Wars universe, like, I think it's okay to be abstract. You think about how often people just hop on a, a speeder bike that's going by and they, hop, yeah. you know, use that to get up onto another thing, or there's a turbo lift, or there's just a flying droid that they use to go up, right? Like, there's so many little abstractions that you can just imagine, like, how did that droid get there? There was a turbo lift that happened to be going, or there was yeah, a yeah. service droid or something that they just like hopped on and like went up. Like, I think there's all sorts of abstractions that you can use. It's well said. Yeah. Whatever serves the story, right? In Star Wars or, or the narrative of the battle. So that's a good way to think about it. But I do agree with Amon in the sense of like, he's, he's thinking of a B1 battle droid with a larger base dashing up to this higher elevation. I completely understand well, what he's, he's ones it's probably just that there's other droids up there right yeah. like they're they're all about like how many droids it's like just the there's just, there's always a droid somewhere you know yeah they're always looking out but amon said with that final comment even so all that considered with climb jump is still fire i love that ability and this is the way 
Yes. That's his direct quote from him. And and he's right. I mean, Charles, you just spoke about like the power of Mandos. I mean, ingress points combined with jumps, combined with repositioning, like there's a lot that they can do that your opponent's not maybe not ready for. Yeah, and like you can always kind of choose the order, right? Like you can you can advance, yeah. you can jump, you can jump and then advance. Like you you have so many abilities to just kind of like be where you want when you want to be there. And while a full advance for like a force is really good, man, jumps just like solve problems and relieve some mental stress from you. You're just like, I just can get where I want to be. No, absolutely. Because I mean, keep in mind, you can like jump to like the highest point and then you can like advance down to a lower point or something, right? You can jump to an ingress point and then get more movement (laughs) and like... (laughs) And then advance. Yeah. There's a lot. It's excellent, but this is definitely the way. But continuing with Amon's thoughts on a a secondary point he has here is he has separatists are better than most people give them credit for. We talked them up on our episode, and I've just confirmed that they really don't have a bad activation in their order deck. Obviously, Kalani early on is incredible, but every single one of their activations seems impactful. At worst case, you can manipulate the order deck with their innate shenanigans and really make them sing. Yeah, I do think even though I'm not a huge separatist fan in general, like the only droids I like are IG-88s and HK-47s. Well, those are the best droids, so yeah, I mean, it's fair. <laughs> but like in general, separatists are not my thing. Yeah. Dooku's certainly not my favorite of the Sith anyway. Asajj is a rock star. I love her. She is. But she outside of Asajj, I don't actually like, and actually I, the Magna Guards and Django were cool, but like most of the rest of separatists, <laughs> I don't care for aesthetically. I will say you, you guys talked about it a little bit in the last episode, but I do like the, um, the tales of the Jedi fill in spots that they did for Dooku and they, right. they did make him more interesting. And I, that made me more excited to play him Yeah. in general. I think there's probably a lot of people who are in my boat that separatists really aren't their thing. I really think there's value in trying all of them because okay. you just might find that you like the way that separatists play. Cause it is different than Republic and different than Mando's. And it is very powerful. Like, my god when you just get to like move like reposition your whole team you're just like how do i lose when all my stuff is always moving where i need them to especially in a game where movement is like movement and positioning is the game and you know movement is limited to a certain extent compared yeah. to other minis games where you can double move and stuff so i think amon kind of nailed it where he was just talking about if you know what you're doing with them most of their activations just can feel impactful if you're playing in that that core as we talked yeah. about it Charles, where it's like, I'm playing separatists. <laughs> like I'm, I'm maximizing the <laughs> yeah. cool thing they do. But Amon also says, speaking of the order deck, sometimes the order deck giveth and sometimes it taketh. However, I think one of the keys to playing the game consistently and successfully at a high level is being able to ensure you can follow your game plan, regardless of who you activate at given times. It does require a considerable amount of forethought, but if you can figure it out, you're going to be able to do well consistently. I don't agree with the naysayers out there that are saying the randomness of the order deck makes this game less competitive. If anything, I think it can make the game more competitive. There is parts of that that I disagree with and parts of it that I agree with. I okay. think the the order deck is a really interesting mental challenge where rather right. than just always having like a single specific plan that you're going to execute you have to have lots of plans and kind of improvise and jump between them and i love that aspect of shatterpoint and i think the part that i kind of want to emphasize is it's it's not like I I don't even think Amon intended this, but like kind of the way the first part, it kind of made it all sound like one plan. And I really feel like it's lots of different plans. 
And yeah. then you you really have to be like prepared to hop between them, which I think if he were here, he would probably agree with and just be like, yeah, yeah that's really what I meant anyway. But I just kind of want to emphasize that, that I, I just think this game is really all about having like a, a whole battle. It's a whole playbook, right? It's a whole, the quarterback yeah. flips open his arm thing. He's, you know, Rex is like, you know, Echo, let's try 2-1-B plan 67X. And Echo's like, hell yeah, that's perfect for this situation, right? Yeah, no, I mean, the game is really unique in that situation where it's like, you're always having to adapt on the fly because of the deck, because of the Shatterpoint card, because of the nature of the objective, struggle mm. two and three onward, right? So there's a lot of things you really have to think on the fly. And, you know, Game plan is more nebulous, I think is what Amon meant, where it's like you have a game plan with the list you're bringing, but that game plan has got to change very quickly sometimes. And, you know, it is what it is. Continuing with Amon's thoughts, getting out of this game plan idea and into something different altogether, Amon says, Maul and Vader slap together. <laughs> this is a dream come true, not only in my head canon, in parentheses, this is something I've always wanted to personally see, but just on the tabletop. I am very happy with this at the moment. So, you know, in keeping with this thought, Amon continues and he says, and finally, most importantly, Maul is better than I initially gave him credit for. Just playing him more on the table, he's solid, especially with Mandos. I can't wait to play him more. I I just want Amon, because I know Amon's going to listen to this because he's kind of like, a fan of both of us. And so I I think there's going to be an element that he's going to like, listen to this maybe even while he's still on vacation, (laughs) right? Like, you know, and he's going to listen. And I just, Amon, I want you to know that when I was reading that, what I envision is you playing volleyball with Vader and Narth Maul in like a top gun setting. And you guys are like high fiving in the sand. And like Vader's like, I'm not really a fan of the sand, but like we're bros and we just won this volleyball game. Perfect. They're all shirtless. Vader has the helmet on for some reason. <laughs> gotta get those sith those mall sith tattoos showing you know like show off all of them vader's burnt body and his you know his his robot arms but yeah he needed a tan he was getting a little a little pale <laughs> poor vader amon's right i mean like this vader does change a lot of stuff for the attrition style lists and mall in particular we're, we're both very excited about this i mean we're both mall fanboys really at the end of the day and you know vader also is maybe the greatest villain of all time in cinema history you're a fan of cutting him in half yeah that's right so (laughs) (laughs) i tried to warn him but this is just a fun thought he had and and i will accentuate his thought about maul is better than he actually gave him credit for i think on the podcast amon was more worried about maul and i was less worried about maul and i think something that he said early on was i don't think he performs especially in his double blade lightsaber form sinister cunning is so good yeah, the Sinister Cunning is really where he performs and less of the Dark Rage. So I think Amon was looking at that. And on top of that, too, I did say on the podcast, and I think Amon agreed with me, where it was like, we did say that as the game goes on, potentially the longevity of Maul really might just show up just by the nature of his not paying for force, just by the nature of him having Scoundrel, Shadow Collective, Dathomirian, and all these are the keywords we've yet to see. I was like, we got to give Maul a little time, you know? And yeah. I think we're we're seeing now that we're giving Maul a little time and uh, he's showing up and I think he'll just maybe get, just get better as the game goes on. I think Amon and I kind of fed off of each other where my first instincts were to not like Maul and his first instincts were to not like Maul. Sure. And we, we hadn't played a real game with real models yet. And I think our discussions kind of fed off each other a little bit. And I think we've both warmed up to where Maul fits in in the in the overall meta and might prove to be the most evergreen character in the core set possibly i mean maybe that's like a slightly hot take but 
what he does, as long as the game remains in this situation where that two durability doesn't hold him back, maybe as much as we thought it would. Okay. And like how good Sinister Cunning is. And, you know, there's there's a lot of layers to it. But I think, again, it just comes back to what we said earlier, right? Every character has situations that are bad for them and good for them. And I think you really kind of have to find the right situations for each one. No, absolutely. And I think Maul gives you a lot of creativity when you're building your list too, because he opens up a lot of windows you just don't have with certain lists. Um, we just talked about the power of Maul in the Mando list. I mean, because he is... He's not spending force I, if you're playing. He him, can right, make it right? so you can reserve when you want to, right? Like for whatever list, like he, like he means one That's or right. two more reserves. It means like one or two more jumps. Like it, may, it means Pretty a force cool. push when you wouldn't get to force push. Like yeah. I, I, I've come around far enough that I think there might be like hyper meta best of the game rosters or you know kind of squad strike teams that Maul is a part of that are you know devastating and lead the meta is very very potential. Well said, absolutely. And of course, Simon closes out his thoughts here with oh, and one more hot take: everything in the game at the moment is is good, which feels great. Nothing to me is bad. In quotes, bad. So what I'm on saying here, I think, is even maybe the lower tier secondaries, like you kind of mentioned, Charles, maybe like a some of the clone stuff, for instance, like which might be on the lower end of like Cody's the worst secondary. You can say it. Okay. He's, yeah. He's pa- the worst. Power levels. <laughs> but what I'm on saying is that if that's actually true, if Cody is the worst secondary, Cody's not bad. Right. Like they, they really seem like they got this core set and this wave one in particular just dialed in with balance and it the game feels good. And I agree with him on in the sentiment. I did. I actually messaged him on about this and I was like, can you define for me what you mean by bad in this right. case? And he said unplayable. And I agree right. with that. Even if we all agree that Cody is the worst, he is very, very far from unplayable. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And if we start factoring in the premier setup, he might still be essential to like, yeah, he, sure. even though we might, actively view him as the weakest of all secondaries he might still be an essential character right now to a galactic republic premier list and so sure and i think that's what amon is getting to is that if your favorite character is within this initial pool of releases nothing is bad enough that it is not actively playable and like not going to like make you feel significantly disadvantaged. If your favorite's Cody, you might feel a little disadvantaged, Sure, but even, even Cody like still can do cool things and you kind of like play for those situations a little bit. And it's not, it's not too bad, but, um, all the primaries, I will say props to AMG. Yeah. I think these primaries have their own cool situations that they're good at. And maybe even exceeds my my expectations. And I hope all the listeners know me well enough at this point. I will call bad bad. Like I am not a, I am not too much of a fanboy. <laughs> I think they did a really good job that each of them kind of feels like they have their niche, and it's pretty close. And it's actively hard to pick a worst primary, and even a best primary is still hard too. And I, I have a lot of respect for them putting me in this situation where it's hard for me to hot take. It's good. I mean, yeah. it does make some of our jobs harder on the content creator side of things. But I mean, it, you know, it also makes like the game just better as a whole. And like, I think we're going to see laws information in tournament data from long chase and stuff like that. As, as time goes on, we'll really see like if there's any insane outliers. But at the moment, not the case we're happy, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, part of this, the nature of the design of the game. And I, I really do love that, that they can kind of 
we just talked about earlier, like the, the Republic build style where it's like these like hard hitting, maybe above the curve Jedi and then like lower tier secondaries and supports that help balance them out. I mean, some, all that all seems intentional. Yeah. 100% like, and it, it, it gives each thing its own feel, which is really good. Mm-hmm. So, you know, absolutely props to props to AMG. Michael Plummer is one of my favorite people on the planet. Love that dude. And so like all the work that went into this, like I, I, I would be willing to step out on a limb and say the most balanced release of any game I have ever seen. Well said. And I, that's where I'm at the moment too. I mean, and we'll see what this like wave two looks like, but it just seems like it's continuing with Amon's thoughts here. And of course, Charles and I agree here. So it's, I, I like that you asked him directly. What is bad? Yeah, I, I, I wanted to know, but um, <laughs> we did. And I'm happy we got like to like, kind of like talk about Amon's thoughts. I actually think this will be really interesting for him and for your listeners and like he's he's going to be a fan right now of the show and i know he's going to hop into discord as soon as he listens and like be be sharing his thoughts but um it's exciting yeah so charles and i have a couple thoughts and we're going to kind of bounce back and forth and i think some of our thoughts are going to pop up organically i want to start with a few on my end charles and number one some of these are kind of rules things i've learned about this game kind of like we were talking about earlier with amon's climbing thought so something i've encountered which i think is unusual and interesting is you can attack models when they are wounded that's the thing in the sense of like they're at their to make this clear to the listener they're at their max stamina threshold so say i'm attacking like you know someone with eight stamina they have eight damage on them i can continue to attack them and with this thought you're saying why would i do this well i think it can also help you sometimes you have no one to attack sometimes they're the only target but also like it is unusual that you can continue to affect them through pushes and affect them through conditions in particular in the biggest way yeah, keep pushing it. Like, Dooku does not like getting pushed away from his team. Ooh, not a fan. Point. Yeah. My Dooku got like triple pushed by some attack. Like, it was yeah. nuts. And it just felt so awful. But, like, uh, this was something that hit me too, Jesse. Like, because in my proxy games, I did not click to this initially. I just started this more recently, right? Like, this is still like the matrix has been opened. All my in-person games, I already knew this, but this was something that did not click for me initially, like before we had the rule book and I misplayed some proxy games and it, it is like, there's a lot of situations where you might attack someone to trigger the replenishes on your tree, to push them away, to trigger an advance. Like all of these things are legitimate options for you. You can attack that. You can't put more damage on them, but you could put more conditions on them. You could put more pushes on them you can trigger your positive things all of these things are are possible and they um and while they're wounded like if they want to do any of their response stuff it costs extra force right maul can't you know use his responsive stuff when he's at full full damage he'd have to spend force for it he couldn't spend damage for those things like there's a lot of situations where it can be very advantageous to attack wounded people you can continue that thought i mean you can do things like massage could like force push someone right yeah that's kind of insane where you're like okay i did deal with you i i wounded you whatnot got you to maybe that eight out of eight but i'm just going to force push you away and you're just way out of the fight and you thought like maybe i might wake up and kind of get back in now you're you're force pushed away. You got a pinned or something. It's not you're not having a good time. It's crazy. <laughs> no, it's rough. It's just it's so different from every other miniatures game I've played in that way. I, I think there's it's just an element that's a curveball on all the on all these other curveballs that are in the game with positioning, with like the ingress points, with we you know which we're gonna get to shortly, where it's like 
It's mind-blowing, Charles. And I think something you and I have talked about a lot off mic pre the game launching and post the game launching is this kind of continues from this thought of why would you even do this? Conditions. Conditions are the craziest of any game ever, maybe, in this game? Yeah, I think I agree with that. I think the conditions are pretty insane in this. I will say... I hit a point where I was like, man, strain is just nuts and pin is just nuts. And yeah, I, I've dialed that back a little bit. I'm not on that like crazy tier where like these things are absolutely okay. like, your first choice, but they are still probably more impactful in Shatterpoint than any other game. Right. Which just like adds to this, this feature and this thought I had of like, how crazy is, is it to retrain your brain that you can attack models that are already at their threshold of damage, right? Like you said, Charles, like, okay, I triggered two recovers and I gave you another condition. Like that's that's a win for me. That that's a good turn. <laughs> Even though your your damage is at your capacity. I think damage is like it's maybe it's not like secondary per se in this game, but it is like we've got like stamina thresholds, conditions, and then, you know, effects that your own character will do several points in this game, they all feel similar to me. They all feel like just as viable as the other. And that's not the case in other minis games. I'm saying that where it's like, you got to retrain your brain, like an MCP today's a model or to remove a model in another, MC- in another miniatures game, just entirely damage is good in this game, but it seems fairly equal to other elements of the game at given points in time. Of course, depending on what's going on in the game at that time, you never know. I will take what you said just there. And I'm going to like, I'm going to like go slightly hotter with it, maybe. Okay. And I'm going to say that uh, Shatterpoint at its core is lots of different ways for you to find advantages, right? Like, Ooh, I like you know, that. how you use the order deck, how you spend force, how you apply status effects, whether you're choosing damage or status effects, like how you reposition and move around the table. All of these things are just avenues for you to find an advantage. And maybe they're actually all equally relevant, right? Like maybe how you spend force is just as important as how you position and how you position is just as important as how you select your damage trees and all like across the board. It might be just like all of these things are equally important. Guess is why you play Mandos. (laughs) (laughs) Just blanket balance across the board. If if you play them correctly, of course, which is, you know, we are stronger together. That's the, absolutely. Yeah. So that was a thought that really stuck out to me. And I'm still retraining my brain, quite honestly, to to think in that terms, because I'll still get to points where I'm like, oh, that model's taking their max wounds. Let, let's shoot someone in the mid at range five away. Right. And sometimes you could say, well, if I could push them two more times out of the <laughs> fight, give them one more condition. Is that just better? You know, you've got, you've got a lot of questions, like you said, Charles, and it's it's hard to know what what is right, honestly, you know, and we're learning together. So that was one of my first thoughts. A second thought I had, I think, which is going to be a, a big part of our discussion today, because I think you've got some thoughts on this that might come up in some of your learn lessons learned. So we're kind of group these together. But I put ingress points and terrain management are two of the most important aspects of the game as a host and organizer, but also as a player. And what I mean by this is to, to not only know how you're going to play the terrain, how you're going to deal with these ingress points and stuff. The Vader example you gave earlier was very strong, where you're like, is two advances really that good? If you depending on what the train setup is slash what you, how you know the train. But on top of that, I'm looking at this through the lens of, you know, Charles and I like to supply terrain for events and people. 
and game nights. We're in a very interesting spot in this game to like, I think we're we're just at the, like the tip of learning what's best at this moment in time. I think you're right. And it's, we're in this very vague kind of mysterious time period, right? Where there's, there's no guidance from ANG right now as to what a right, table right, right. should look like. Sure. Zero guidance. And I'm not saying that's a mistake on their part, and it might be intentional, and it might be that there's something coming. Who knows? But right now, we have no idea what their intention is. With MCP, I had the privilege of playing with some game designers in like some of my very early games. And so I saw how they set up tables, and I so I used that and took that on. I haven't had that opportunity with sure. Shatterpoint. So we're just setting up tables. But what I'm noticing right now and I think this is a pro, this is an advantage of Shatterpoint. I think Shatterpoint might actually allow for the most interesting terrain setup of any game that I've played. I like the sound of this. To give you an example, I mentioned this, I think, on on my show. But in the last game that I played, I was shuffling around stuff on the table, and I put a high ground right in the middle. So big tower, doesn't have to be high ground, but just envision that there's a very tall piece right in the middle of the table. And then I ran a gantry near it, not right next to it, but there was like an inch gap, maybe an inch and a half gap, but it made it so there was this spot where the objective was, but there was another spot that was equal elevation, but not connected where you could contest and be at the same elevation and how it would create fighting situations where like, if you were on this side of the high ground, you could shoot at that person, but they couldn't melee you and like vice versa. And I'm like, this is so cool. I cannot (laughs) wait to like use this in more terrain setups. I'm just really excited by that. And I think you probably, uh, you know, you take the terrain like another level even past where I go. I think this is really exciting for setting up cool boards. No, 100%. And Star Wars has some of the coolest planets and boards and just in general, (laughs) like any world building and lore. So you could really lean into the like the theme of this, but also like the mechanics. And I think we're going to get to a point in the future where we're having these people who love lore and theme and people who love mechanics. And we can create something that Charles is talking about, right? In a thematic way where just it's hitting both points, right? And the, the first point I mentioned, Charles, which I think is maybe more of a player point, is ingress points and how paramount they are and how powerful they are. You know, we've all still only played so many games thus far, and I think we're still learning every game how impactful they are, how different they are in a minis game and what they really mean. Are you are you getting the same vibe about the ingress points and like the setup of them and also oh, the way you access them? Absolutely. It's so my ter- my first table, I glued on all the ingress points. Okay. Because I like I'm taking it to the game store. I yep, want it I attached. That. I don't want it cuz one of my very very first in-person games there was a lot of stuff not glued together and we had like almost all of the terrain fall basically. Okay. Like partway through the game. And I'm like, I don't want that. And so I'm going to glue on some ladders. And so I started with maybe a little bit less than what you should have, because I didn't know. I'm like, let me start at a point that's either okay or a little under. And then I played a couple games with it. And game two was against an all, like it was an Anakin Obi team. And I just felt like playing Mandos against that with a bunch of terrain and like a below average amount of ingress points was awful for him. It was the mm. fastest game that I've played. I just rolled over him. The clones like 
there just wasn't ingress points in the right position for any of his stuff. Like nothing would like he would advance and he would be an inch and a half away from an ingress point. It was just, it was always seemed awful for him. So I immediately went home and like of all my train, I added like three more ladders, right? Just to like, (laughs) you know, just like dial it up a notch and be like, I like winning, but I don't really like winning that way. Right. Right. (laughs) You know, right. So yeah, they are very important and I still don't think we know what the the right amount is and maybe it varies a little bit from table to table and like what that amount is, I still don't know. Well, it's also like with the turn zero mindset as a player, it's like, do you do you deploy centrally and give yourself options to go any direction you want? Or do you deploy like super wide where you just like lined up directly with ingress points where you're immediately going to be up on terrain piece? A lot of questions, right? A lot of, a lot of interesting questions. And I, I, you know, I think time will tell, but I'm, I know it's paramount to know it (laughs) and yes, as an organizer and as a player. So keep an eye on ingress points, keep an eye on how you move your models on terrain. You know, the B1 can't even get on that particular spot. Like Charles was talking about earlier, right? He just can't even fit. These are things to know, right? So it's so interesting and so different on the terrain front that we're, we're still learning together. But Charles, before I get into some like model thoughts, I have about some interesting things that have come to my game with models. Let's talk about some of your lessons learned this first month, especially relating to like the game as, you know, the gameplay yeah. in the game. So we've, we've hit most of them, but sure. I've saved one reasonably spicy, bring okay. it in warm thought for you that I did not warn you about sure. in advance. Yeah. And I'm actually going to call it the fourth archetype. Okay. And I think there's a split archetype or a split synergy build that maybe people are playing and not even realizing how good it is. But I had people tell me like right away that this game was going to be very much like play all Republic, play all Mandos. And my first thoughts were that too. And I'm coming around to kind of a a 50-50, but with a little bit of overlap. And to give you an example of what I mean here, this could be Vader, Rex, clones, and then the the Grand Inquisitor unit, right? Like a little bit of overlap. It could be, it could be Asajj with some Dathomirians and Separatists. Right, where like the separate stuff interact with Asajj, but then she's got a cool package under her that does something different. And I think I mentioned this in my most recent cast on um, Rogue Support, but I said maybe, maybe one of the best lists in the game right now might be Obi with Rex and the 212th, even though 212th are not the strongest support in the game. I still think this particular squad with Ahsoka bow super commandos might be the strongest team or in conversation for the strongest team by balancing out the mix of jumps and speeds and synergies where you don't lean into Obi's leadership completely, but Obi's leadership still affects, you know, Rex. It still affects the 212th and it still affects Ahsoka. It doesn't affect the two Mandos fully, but it lets them keep the hunker in melee. So it just doesn't go away, which can still help them. And then you roll all of these things in together and you, rather than go full synergy, you kind of split two synergies and maybe create a list that's, 
gives you more options. And I think there's lots of versions of this. Yeah. And I'm sure listeners maybe like, there's probably someone in your discord right now that's already typing and like, oh man, I'm already doing this. Here's my kind of split synergy split team that I'm really liking. That's probably my biggest lesson after playing all games of full synergy. I'm really starting to see like, what can I do with a little bit of each? I like that thought a lot. I like that (laughs) thought a lot. Not to give Amon and I too much credit, we touched on this briefly in our opening weekend list to try and stuff. And of of course, I also think the core set kind of encourages you to do this, right? They encourage you to play Maul with Mandos and Asajj with Droids and kind of just get a Get a, get a handle on the dark side or the light side, right? But I also think you're probably pretty right, Charles, because I think as the game goes on, it's funny that the pure Republic, pure Separatists, pure whatever it may be in the future, Rebels, that's yeah. just might just get better and better and better and better as the game goes on. But at the same time, this thing you're talking about, this animal you're talking about, with creative thought and practice and execution, this thing also gets better as well because there's more options, right, to mix and match, to fill gaps, right? I think using Republic is a very acute way to talk about that because they do have some gaps. So maybe that is the way. Maybe bringing Bo and her Mando package, which it's it is Super Mandos. You're right, Charles. You're, well, <laughs> I mean, I think you could go either way with that support yeah. unit, but I think it's important to also have some stuff that wants to like mix it up in the middle. And like the clones don't necessarily like all want to be like up there in melee. So I think having a melee package right. kind of diversifies the the whole thing. But I think reasonably, you could also look at a table and go, okay, well, let's do Obi and clones on this side that's like a little less terrain, maybe fighting a little bit more on the ground, utilizing some cover pieces, and then give Mandos the side where like, all right, there's going to be a lot of jumps necessary to like keep me in the game over here and have a bit of both and what that does to your overall strategies. Or maybe it just means in Premiere that you, you do the Ahsoka and Mando package, or maybe that's Darth Maul and Mando package. Yeah. But I think I like that Ahsoka also benefits from the the OB synergies. There's there's some cool stuff going on there. So and I there's a I have a few ideas that I haven't even spoiled on this cast yet that I'm Perfect. saving that are in this split synergy category. As much as I heard a lot of people say this game is going to be all about the full synergy, and maybe we get to that point. I don't think we're there yet. I think I think having a more dynamic plan may actually prove to be stronger. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in the future when like the game grows wider and wider. It's like maybe having a list like that just gives you more versatility, like you're talking about. It gives yeah. you more options, more flexibility, quite honestly, right? And I think time will tell, right? But obviously Mandos are a good part of that equation because yep. <laughs> they can kind of just fill gaps for you, right? And which is really helpful. So it's mildly hot, yeah. Charles. I think it's I think it's it's a it's the appropriate level of hot, especially on a show like this where we love everything in the Star Wars universe, love everything in Shatterpoint. We want to try it all. So we're taking that to heart here as myself and the listeners and we're going to try that. I mean, and I think just play what you want to play too, because as you're saying, Charles, like we don't want to get caught in any play patterns too hard, especially this early on in the game. Right. Because we I agree just, with that. Yeah. We could just have blind spots. We could just have massive blind spots where you're like, well, what, what does Obi-Wan look like? And, and a list that's not pure Republic, right? Like, like the example you just gave, like what does Obi-Wan look like in a half Republic, half Mando's list? And like how much hunkering do you get to do with the other clones that are on the side of the table that are constantly, Constantly right. having to climb anyway. Like, are they really benefiting that much from the OB signature ability, right? Like, maybe you just have Mandos. Like, maybe the Mandos just holding onto their hunker actually ends up being better than the clones in that situation. And, like, it's still iconic, right? Like, yeah. This is literally like, I just rewatched Clone Wars. And yes. 
It is absolutely, they took the exact uniform that Ahsoka was wearing in Clone Wars season seven. Oh yeah. That is what's going on. Like that's clearly the exact version of Ahsoka that this is meant to be. It's her leading Bo-Katan and the Mandos and half of the 501st against Darth Maul and the Super Commandos, right? Epic. Epic. Also, shout out. The Ahsoka versus Maul fight might be like one of the best fights in all of Star Wars. It's very good. Yeah. Should be happy Anakin didn't show up, right? But yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I love that taunting. Like I didn't, I didn't understand it the first time around. But yeah, she really was like, man, if if Anakin was here, he would just. <laughs> you're you're lucky. You he you're lucky your plan didn't work out because uh, you would not. You would have less of your body than what Obi left you with. I mean, especially because this is like this is quite proper Revenge of the Sith Anakin. I mean, this is like minutes yeah. before you know everything that happens in Revenge of the Sith. So yeah, it's <laughs> poor Maul. He he would he would knock that out quickly. So yeah, I think it's a good thought, Charles. And I think obviously that thought is going to expand more the game goes on. Like yeah. I think you said the the Death of Marians and the Night Sisters is a great example. They're not going to necessarily fit in a hardcore box. So they might be a prime example for a list like this. The example you're giving of like a yeah. of a half and half or a all Dathomir with, with Maul yeah. plus Mandos or all Dathomir with Asajj plus maybe Droids. like Kalani and Magna Guards. Like yeah. there's a lot of like split things that you could do that I think would be really interesting where you just like, like you look at the Dathomirians and like right now we don't know what Savage does, but we know that Mother Talzin and her acolytes all kind of look like they don't want to be in the middle of the table. Yeah. They like they want to shoot stuff. And so maybe having Asajj and Magna Guard that do kind of want to go up and mix it up in the middle might okay. be the perfect balance. It's pretty cool. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm sure Savage hits like a truck, but we'll, time will tell. <laughs> we'll yes. see. Uh, that guy means business. So I'm on board. Okay. So great thoughts. Any other thoughts you have about the game? You know, just game thoughts before we maybe like touch on a couple points that were interesting to us about characters that we learned. I mean, I would say in general, maybe I'll play off of some of your points, but um, nothing jumps out at me as like we we didn't get a chance to hit on this thing that was really important. This wouldn't be a hello there cast without talking about how Bo-Katan's the best secondary in the game. And then Charles Facts. is here. Got to keep this going. <laughs> yeah. You're wearing a Bo-Katan shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Represent best character, not best secondary, best character in Shatterpoint. You heard it here, folks. Absolutely. Django's still up there as well. And you know. Yeah. Jango's What's cool really about the game is I think you guys touch on this, one of your recent casts of your show, Rogue Support, but also just thoughts and discussions we've had off mic where it's like, is Shatterpoint the game where it's like every model at its tier level, primary, secondary support is equally as impactful, which is kind of unique in the sense of like, it's tough to compare it to MCP, right? We've, we, we know the impact of something like Thanos and MCP, right? But to me, in this game in particular, they really made the supports feel really impactful, which is unusual for just minis games in general, nameless characters. So in my mind, the supports, secondaries, and primaries all have like a, a very pivotal role to play. And it's it's just an interesting thought process. Yeah, I, I agree with most of that. I don't think it's even across the board, which we already kind of talked about, which I don't yeah. think was what you were necessarily trying to like truly say. It's more like you need a sum of all the parts. Yeah, but it I think it works for Star Wars, right? Like there's always everything in Star Wars has that random droid support unit who's opening the doors for you. 100%. Right? Or, you know, that's saving the other character's life in this in this strange way. And so I think it it makes sense 
that the support units because it's just like yes a jedi is really powerful but the same as when you're watching like matrix reloaded right like neo can't be everywhere you know well said yeah yeah he just can't be everywhere yeah okay well that leads into thoughts of any particular character thoughts that have come up when you've been playing so i think this is tough because i've between the show thus far here on hello there we've talked about all the character thoughts we're going to talk about today is there anything that's kind of like caught you off guard or maybe change your thoughts other than Maul, which we already touched on. For me recently, it's just been Padawan Ahsoka continues to just like impress me immensely. And what I mean by that is I've loved her since the first time I played her. She just keeps impressing me with what she can do on the battlefield. And of course, her just giving a Jedi or a Galactic Republic user an advance every time she goes. It's Kalani levels good. You're you're literally stabbing me in the heart with like rubbing in the fact that you have Padme Ahsoka Padawan Ahsoka, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah not Padme Ahsoka, Padawan Ahsoka. I have done that so many times, and I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, she she looks really good. I have not had a chance to play with her or against her, unfortunately. Okay, not against her, yeah. Yeah, just I have not faced anyone who's had her. I'm not proxying her. I do think in a normal event, if you wanted to play Republic, I think you absolutely drop Cody for her. Premiere, it's more complicated, but... It's very complicated Premiere. <laughs> With primary soak out there. Yeah. Other characters, it's been interesting. I like and I think we already talked about it enough that I don't want to rehash it, but it's yeah, it's really just for me, Ben, that each character shines in slightly different situations. And okay. Having the characters like the characters that prefer to be on the midline and the characters that prefer to overextend a little bit so they can hop to the next point if necessary. And for me, it's just like this cool adventure of figuring out what that spot is for each one of them is really interesting. And if there's a character that you're you're sitting at home, you're listening to this and you're just like, I like this character, but they just haven't been very good for me. Like, I really honestly think that none of the characters so far are so bad that it's really more of like, are you playing a character on a team that doesn't need more of that character's role? Maybe you should Mm. play that character with something else. We're like, if you're playing Maul and Dooku together, I don't think it works. It's too much force recovery, right? It's too much force management where if you're playing Maul, Django, Dooku, like you probably feel like some part of that puzzle doesn't feel right because it does too much of the same thing. Okay. I don't think you really play Dooku and Maul together, but if you played either of them with other forces, I feel like you could see their value more easily. Right, like playing Maul with Django, right? Because yeah. Django is force <laughs> intensive, right? But just you're saying the Dooku is just one step too far in that. Yeah, you're like, I always have force now. I'm never spending all of my force. Yeah. Or I'm yeah. spending it really superfluously. You kind of, you 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 balance that out. Well said. Yeah, you're basically saying the thing we've kind of been hinting at this whole cast, which is like, keep trying stuff, keep mixing yeah. stuff up, right? Because the combinations are kind of endless at this point. We're still trying to figure out and grasp what all these characters mean together. Honestly, you know, and how to play them against your opponent. Well, and then with the premiere format, you might have a favorite team. Like maybe it's Vader, Rex, and 501st is your favorite team. Yeah. And then you need three other things that you can play with it. Keep trying things and see what other options you like to pair with your favorite thing and experiment and try some other builds with that. And uh, I think then maybe you you will also be more prepared for a premiere event when your community's ready for it. But also you might find a, a, a like a second squad that you were not 
prepared for just how good it synergized with with Vader or you know you're like oh well this package has a lot of cool refreshes and so it just works <laughs> right because I'm like they're yeah. always replenishing their health so they just work so well with Vader even though there's no keyword synergy yeah you're only going to find that through trying right and just yeah. learning so Charles nailed that and just do that at home and I think you inadvertently gave Emperor Kevin a shout out because that's probably his plan with Vader it's just slam yeah. him and mix other squads with him so I'm here for you Kevin even though I'm Mando I'm more Sith than light side yeah that's right. You guys will bring about the order to the galaxy through the dark side of the force, apparently. So yeah, Charles, I mean, we could probably go on and on and on about our first month thoughts. And I think probably. we're still learning a lot. <laughs> well, we're just learning so much too. Yeah. Like, I feel like every time I play a game, I learn something huge. I think a lot of new games are like that, but I think Shatterpoint's yeah. a little bit unusual in the way it's played the verticality of the game, the list building, the list goes on. I love and it on every time you guys say verticality. I just love that word. And <laughs> you and Amon, every time you say it, I'm just like, it's just like you touch my heart in a special way. Did not know I was doing that, but there yeah. it is. So yeah, but I mean, like it's what you talked about earlier, Charles. It's this game is the sum of every element, which is kind of unusual for a miniatures game. I mean, some miniature games are like, I shot you real good from range. I win, yeah. you know, and this is not the case in this game. This is like, do you have every feature kind of down the best you can in that moment? And which is like you said, it all just seems to matter. So we're kind of all just fumbling through this together, learning together. And hopefully some of our thoughts today kind of gave you introspection and sort of just maybe ways that uh, you can work on stuff too, because we're, we're just learning here. Charles and I are just we're just yeah, so at the beginning. Lots to absorb. Lots to absorb. It's just begun, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. So begun the Clone Wars. Episode one uh, of Shatterpoint, really. You know. Yeah. <laughs> we just started. I mean, we're not even, like we're we're just a month in and we're, this is just the first point, right? In the race. So we're, we're going to get there and we're going to. 100%. We're going to be right and wrong in a lot of ways, but hopefully we kind of like helped guide you on your own journey with this game. And we'll return to the skin in the future. Like Charles, Amon and I will all kind of sit down and like maybe return again. Like what are some more X amount of months thoughts, right? And like how different is the game? I'm really curious to see where it goes. Yeah, for sure. And I just think to kind of echo what you said, we're, we're all in this journey together. And that's right. You know, Jesse listens to podcasts. I listen to podcasts and Lon listens to podcasts. We're all just like, needing to absorb a little bit more when we can't play. And so we're happy to like podcast for you and we're all podcasting for each other to, to kind of like help sate that desire to just learn that little, little bit more about Shatterpoint. Yeah. And just like get to, as you said, enjoy the game when we can't play, you know, that's the greatest yeah. feature to me of content creation is I get to do that for other people and other people can do that for me. And we all get this communal joy together when we can't be together. You know, well, that's the greatest thing. I mean, when a patron send me like a picture of them on like the train, listening to the podcast, like while they're commuting to work, it's like they're, they're living that whether it's MCP or Shatterpoint life when they can't do it, you know, it's always a joy to me as a content creator that I get to be with people in the coolest places. You're out lives. there in the outer rim. I'm here in Coruscant, but we're <laughs> still right. all connected in the Shatterpoint. That's right. Absolutely, Charles. But we're going to close out the show here and tell you guys where you can find us. And of course, we can find Charles. So of course, this show is supported by wonderful patrons. You can become a Hello There patron by going to patreon.com slash Hello There cast. You can find us everywhere online. That's Twitch, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Hello There cast. And you can email us at Hello There cast gmail.com with any sort of collaborations or reaching out you want to do. Of course, you can leave us reviews on your podcast platform choice. It really helps us out. And we need to thank Lowfield for our show's music 
music. So of course you can find me and Amon a couple different places. You can find me, Jesse, on Twitter, Instagram, Longshanks and Discord, all the same place. It's very simple. At Jesse Aiken, that's J-S-S-E-E-A-K-I-N. And check out my show, Fury's Finest, about Marvel Christ Protocol and the Marvel Universe. You can also follow Amon on Twitter at Amon the Wargamer. He is the only Amon in the hobby, quoting him. You can find him on Longshanks at Amon Kusro. And Amon does a podcast about Warhammer Underworld's Path to Glory, a podcast that focuses on competitive gaming, player development, and community growth. Check that out where you can find podcasts. Charles, where can everyone find you? Well, I just want to know, uh, I heard that Amon actually hunts down other Amons, and like there can be only one, like... You know, or maybe he has an Amon apprentice and like all other Amons. Yeah, just have to be uh, sacrificed for the greater power of the Amon. So Amon is the Grand Inquisitor. He just hunts yeah. all their Amons. Removes exactly. Them. Yeah. Twitter at the Omnis. I think now my Discord is at the Omnis hashtag zero is I think after the the, the redo of the naming. Okay. Um, but I'm in most of the Shatterpoint stuff. You know, if you just pull up Omnis. Um, and then my show is Rogue Support, which you just look up Rogue Support on iTunes, Spotify. I'm sure Jesse's going to throw out some links there. But yeah. um, probably the cool thing that we do for the community is that we record live on Twitch every other week, sometimes slightly more than that. But it's kind of cool. Like I think Twitch and like live streaming video is something that's kind of like underused by the minis game community. Yep. And so just kind of trying to contribute in that way and interact with people, but still make it very audibly friendly if you're not watching the show where you still you feel like you have a great podcast even if you were not there. But kind of does a bit of both. And um yeah, I'm just I'm just happy to be here, Jesse. We're excited to have you, Charles. And of course, echoing Charles' comments, I love Rogue Support. I love that you can watch it live or you can watch it in a VOD or you can just sub to them on your podcast platform of choice and listen. So it's, it's, it just meets your schedule best to what you have available to you. And so, you know, I frequently do all three of the formats for their show, you know, a lot of the time where it's like, nice, okay, I'm nice. going to be gone for a while. <laughs> I'll listen in audio format, but if I'm at home with my computer, I can catch it live, catch it live. Or most of the time it's more like a VOD, you know, I'll catch a VOD. And, you know, I posted in the hello there discord, like the episode where you guys had a mod on very recently, which was super fun. Like that was it's such a, a episode. good episode. And it's just like, I think it was just like, it was the right timing. And we just like, in a lot of ways, it was just a strong episode in general. And I really enjoyed being a part of it. And, and Amon's just fun to talk to. No, absolutely. No, Amon is, um, he's the man. I mean, what else, what else could we say, you know? And, and Charles dubbed us on that episode, the sexiest Shatterpoint podcast. Um, so I guess we're going to wear that as a badge of pride. I don't even think that was a hot take. I think that was a cold take. That's not even Luke Skywalker warm. That was just a cold, Skywalker. obvious take. Well, Hello there, it. sexiest Shatterpoint podcast, for sure, 100%. Well, we appreciate that immensely, and I'm sure Amon appreciates that as well. And you know, we'd love to continue to work with you guys in the future, and I think we're going to see a lot of each other's faces over time because you know, we're, we're all hoping to build this community together, you know? even though we have different projects and different styles. I mean, yeah. that's the best part. We can all build it together and all hang out as friends while we're doing it, as Charles said. 100%. Well, Charles, this has been a fun episode. Yeah. It's been a good like first month of the game. Time will tell where this game goes, but I mean, I've learned a lot. Seems like you've learned a lot. Yeah, I'm just, and I still just feel like I have mountains to learn. Well, you and I will probably do what you and I both do in the future. We'll probably listen to this episode and, and talk about how right or wrong we were. Yeah. And uh, well, we <laughs> come back to this, this in like nine months and be like, wait a minute. Wait a we second. We really did say that back then, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we appreciate you guys listening. And until next time, may the force be with you. Oh.
uncivilized.